Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode of the Human Centered Leadership Podcast and today's guest is a local uh, person, a local leader who I had the great honor of meeting the other day. He holds a very important position for the business community in the area that I live in, which is the East Midlands of the United Kingdom. So Scott is the Chief Executive Officer of the East Midlands Chamber of Commerce. Now, Chamber of Commerce is something that you've probably heard about uh, wherever you are in the world, really. Uh, But what do they do? Well, today we're going to explore that with Scott, who has been as part of the member for 23 years and has risen up through the ranks uh, right up to the highest level of Chief Executive Officer. So welcome, Scott. Welcome to the Human Centred Leadership Podcast. Thanks, Cole, and thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for dropping in after a short conversation that we had only the other day. Uh, But it was an inspired conversation. Uh, I intended for us to only be chatting for maybe 20 minutes, and I think we ended up chatting for goodness knows how long, much, much longer than 20 minutes. Uh, But I found great synergy in, in some of the stuff that you're talking about. Now, as you now know, EQ in leadership is my passion. This is what I help organizations to do, to create EQ cultures and emotionally intelligent leaders. But ultimately, emotional intelligence is really about being, having the ability to build deep and lasting relationships. And now you must be a master at this because 23 years in the Chamber of Commerce. And one of the fundamental things that the Chamber is responsible for is either building relationships with other people or facilitating the building of relationships. So could you explain to me how emotional intelligence plays out uh, for you and why relationship building you feel is so important in the current climate? I've always been a strong believer of um, relationships, that business is not transactional. Um, it shouldn't feel mechanical, um, you know. In the, you know, if you were going into a retail store and you bought something, that's quite a transaction. It's it's a mechanical um, thing that you would do. Um, but obviously, you know, as a chamber of commerce, um, some of your viewers will know chambers have been around for um, about two hundred years, slightly more than two hundred years. Um, you see the chamber of commerce brand wherever you go across the world. They Sometimes they do slightly different things to each other, but fundamentally it's, it's about being a fulcrum for the, for the business community. Um, and therefore actually developing, building and maintaining relationships is, is a really important part of um, understanding the business community, what its needs are, um, what the barriers to growth might be. Um, and you can't, you can't uh, find that out over... Uh, over a very short conversation Uh, and because this is an evolving piece perhaps never more so than in the last sort of couple of years then um, really understanding what it is that makes businesses tick and of course there is no one size fits all 
Um, every business is unique, no matter what sector they're in, what size of business they are, what their geography is. Um, and therefore, you have to have that, that empathy. You've got to be able to listen um, to each business leader or key decision maker within a business to understand you know, what, what are their challenges, what are their yeah. barriers, yeah. and actually what, how can you help lift some of that? I wouldn't say I was a master cult at it at, at all. I think I, I'd still describe myself as an enthusiastic amateur, um, but myself and, and, and my team, um, everything we do is about managing, building or maintaining relationships. Um, and I think it's, and whether that's internal or external, and you know, you have to be able to switch from the macro to the micro very quickly. You sometimes, several times within the same minute, depending on your audience or mixed company um, and so on. That, that last bit that you've touched upon there, Scott, uh, you know, f- gives me another flash of another element of emotional intelligence. And I call that fluid leadership. So you've talked about, you know, going from the macro to the micro in instantaneously, maybe several times in a conversation. I think that's so, so uh, important and so correct. I often teach this in terms of, you know, there being six leadership styles within emotional intelligence, uh, right from the coercive leadership styles through to the resonant leadership styles. Uh, and there's a great book on this called uh, Primal Leadership, by the way, which I think is a fascinating book. But that is all around uh, shifting as your environment shifts with you and just go, uh, adapting the right leadership style. Now, adaptability and agility is something that we've heard an awful lot about over the last couple of years while we've been going through the whole COVID experience and the pandemic and the lockdown and the subsequent different ways of working. So what has adaptability meant to you and and who have been the most adaptable types of organisations for you? What is a leadership mindset that you need to have to be adaptable? I'm sorry, there's three questions in one, but, uh, you know, this is like an exciting area. Yeah, I think adaptability... Um, or agility, whether they're the same things or, or slightly different, um, I think they're so inextricably linked. Um, and clearly, the pandemic has meant that we've all had to adapt quickly. Um, you know, talking to our members, you know, we've got four thousand plus members across the East Midlands, everything from sole traders through to startup businesses to scale up businesses, and then those big global brands that we've got so many of in the East Midlands. Um, and everybody had to adapt and everybody had to do it rather quickly and therefore be agile. And when you, when I talk to business leaders, chief executives, MDs, business owners, what everybody would say is, you know, number one from an adaptability perspective was about how they accelerated their digital transformation strategies. You know, most of us pre-pandemic would have had you know, whether it was IT roadmaps or digital transformation strategies, whatever term you wanted to use, that was probably measured in years. And everybody said, well, we had to do it over a weekend. And clearly, so did so many businesses. It is quite interesting, certain sectors, uh, I, you know, uh, probably talking about the public sector in terms of pace, seem to come along at a much slower pace. I'm not being overly critical because they're big organisations, you know, the the old I guess it's a British adage of trying to turn the uh, the QE2 um, you know it's a it's a real um, it's a real effort to turn around machines of size um, most of our members the chamber itself we're you know we're SMEs um, and therefore you can uh, you know you can adapt quite quickly we had to turn uh, an entire face-to-face 
delivery program into a virtual one within within two or three days. Um, and actually, it was really pleasing to see that we could do that. Um, although we were probably in a as a business ourselves in a slightly advantageous position that we had invested quite heavily um, in our IT infrastructure only months before. Um, I hadn't appreciated it would pay off quite so quickly um, when the pandemic came around, but it really did. You know, people just picked up laptops, they left the office one day and they were delivering virtually the following day. Um, that's not been the case for all businesses. And of course, not all businesses were able to to work remotely you know there's many sectors that we have um, where actually it requires attendance at, at a factory at a plant whether it's retail whether it's hospitality but then you see the pace of those businesses and how they adapted whether it was about keeping their workforce safe whether it was around keeping their customers safe and, and creating confidence um, that you're okay to go into that shop or okay to go into that bar or restaurant um, so I think you know Lots of businesses have spent a huge sum of money becoming adaptable, being agile. They did it very quickly. Um, and you could see the, certainly thinking about central government and all of the sort of financial aid that was there for businesses. It, it was it was trying to play catch up to the pace at which businesses had, adapt, had adapted all the way through. So that was, yeah, really pleasing to see that. You know, we have such uh, great leadership across the business community in the East Midlands. Yeah, I, I think there's some so much truth in what you've said. And, you know, the only dif difference between adaptability and agility for me, adaptability is the ability to, to change with the environment. And agility is about how fast you're able to do that. Obviously, for the smaller the, the company, the, the easier it is. I mean, for me, I, I remember uh, I, I, on the day of lockdown, I was uh, delivering for the first time my uh, programme on e emotional intelligence uh, for staff at a university. And the first module is two days. And uh, we'd had a phenomenal first day. And then I came in for the second day. We were an hour into it. Everyone's really excited. And then somebody from HR came running in, not quite screaming, but, uh, you know, when I tell the story, I have to, I have to make it much more sensational saying we all have to leave everyone has to go and I was like left scratching my head thinking well, okay what do I do now but within a day or two I was delivering 100% online um, so you know we've learned an awful lot and we've all had to adapt and some have been more agile than others um, but I think it's also brought its own challenges as well um, you know we're talking about relationship building and this ability to uh, maintain contact with other human beings and I think a lot of people are suffering with anxiety as a result of not being able to physically meet their colleagues their peers um, I'm sure that you've got plenty of stories not just within uh, your you know members of the chamber but also I think you employ something like 200 staff yourself so what have you done uh, and what have you known other businesses to do to maintain that well-being and that connectability uh, with their staff? It's a really good question. And, uh, well, I'll start by saying what we did as a business. Um, this is, that has actually led to lasting change, so transformative change. So one of the very first things that we, um, that we did um, once lockdown sort of started in March 2020, um, immediately set up a weekly vir virtual meeting with all staff. Um, it doesn't have a fixed agenda. Um, we, we experimented with different ways of keeping in touch with people through that mechanism. Um, sometimes it'd be quite a formal agenda to talk about performance. Other times it'd be to, it would be to have you know quite an open agenda and say to people, what is it you want to talk about? 
um, rather than it being steered entirely from the top. And that worked really well. You know, the fact that most people sort of thought, well, what are we turning up to this week? You know, it might be here's some great case studies that we've done of how we've delivered things virtually. Or it could have been, here's some really nice feedback we've had from customers and from members. And that was great. Or having a conversation about how people are feeling. You know, what else could we do? Um, you know, I suppose like many of your listeners, um, you know, everybody went through that cycle of, feeling that well we need to do some virtual social stuff and we'll have a quiz and that's great i don't ever want to do a virtual karaoke evening ever again but um so everyone <laughs> kind of went through all the you know what are the zany ideas what are the all the things we could do to keep in touch um but interestingly as um you know we find ourselves in interesting times at the moment but as restrictions started to lift and people were able to go back to the office actually we've maintained that weekly virtual all staff meeting and people look to that and say actually that's a great way for me to keep in touch it's fantastic that you've had that longevity because i mean a lot of companies organizations and even you know uh, families have tried to build in this regularity of something but it hasn't been sustained so the fact that you've managed to sustain that i think uh, is testament to the culture that you've created and we have staff all the time you know do you, do you still see value in this um because of course sometimes it can be a you know, as the leader of the business and for my leadership team, it can be a bit of an exposition dump on people. But people still say, no, no, we see value in it. We think it's great. I might not be able to come to everyone because of other commitments. Um, but usually we get about 75% of the Chambers team on each each virtual meeting. So that feels pretty good. Since we have been able to get people back together, we, we've done an all-staff away day. Um, uh, clearly when it was safe to do so and government restrictions allowed that. And that was great. Um, we've now got an agile working policy. And actually, we will probably never go back to five days a week in the office because what these ways of working actually showed some of the things that we did face-to-face -face actually work better in a virtual environment. So think, some of the things we do as a, um, a, as a Chamber of Commerce, engaging with our MPs. You know, our members, our customers see great value in sitting down with their constituency MP. Or the Bank of England, um, you know, sitting down with a regional agent for the Bank of England to talk about um, what's happening in their businesses, which helps inform the bank's thinking, which helps inform what the Monetary Policy Committee do um, and the decisions they make around interest rates. That actually works much better virtually because you're pinning down senior people with extremely busy diaries. Well, an hour is an hour rather than an hour plus travelling time in either direction we get much better attendance at those meetings with them being virtually. But then there are things that we do that actually virtual doesn't work as well and actually people see the value of coming together. Um, but certainly going forward, we will have a, you know, it's an overused term, isn't it, but a hybrid delivery model. Um, what's really important is we're responding to customer needs. So if we get to that position where customers say, we want everything to be face-to-face -face, or we want everything to be virtual, then again, we'll, you know, we'll look at those delivery mechanisms and make sure that it's fit for purpose. That's fantastic. And have you seen any really good practice uh, that other businesses are doing as well? I mean, the, what the Chamber is doing there is, is, is almost like a beacon for others. But have you seen anything that other people or other organisations are doing? Yes, I have. And what, what I think has been really interesting is um, much more open dialogue between businesses about 
looking at what best practice as they all adapt into new ways of working or many adapt into different ways of working um, the openness the transparency um, you know you could talk to the chief executive of a global brand and he would say we're making it up as we go along as well we're waiting to see what other good practice is you get smaller businesses looking at looking up their supply chain well what are you doing that we could learn from um, and I think that that sort of it, it certainly felt like a much more cohesive business community because people were very happy to share their hits and misses um, in terms of this and what works in one sector it may work elsewhere and you know a phrase I heard lots of people say and I've probably said it as well is a good idea is a good idea um, uh, it, it doesn't have to be generated at home if you think that that's a good idea and you could apply it to your business so that really impressive to see that sort of transparency that openness the sharing um, and then businesses taking the valuable bits that they can apply to their own business um, uh, and, uh, and I've seen that across the whole region so that's been really good to see I really have seen uh, a change in the way that people communicate. Uh, you know, I, I, I very often when I'm working with organisations and they want me to work on cu improving culture, one of the fundamental things I have to work on is improving trust. Uh, and I think that uh, in any relationship, any organisation that is founded on a, uh, on a on a foundation of real trust and tra and transparency is an organization that has a higher potential to succeed but trust is only there can only be achieved if you are prepared to be uh, vulnerable as well so i've seen a lot more authentic conversations transparency as you call it learning from each other uh, and even the rhetoric on platforms such as linkedin for me has changed over the last 12 to 18 months i'm seeing seeing people talk in a slow and in a wholly different way on linkedin now and there's a lot more vulnerability shown perhaps a bit too much by some people because you can overdo this kind of stuff but uh, i see a lot of deeper relationships being formed on linkedin is that your experience as well or is that just something that maybe i've 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 noticed and perhaps made a, a lot of because this is what i'm always thinking about yeah i think you're abs i think you're absolutely right and i think business leaders um, you know nationally locally regionally being very open about the challenges um that the last sort of 18 months has presented uh you know they're people we're all people at, at, at the same time you know it's the old adage of it's lonely at the top you know that kind of view and people being much more open i think on on platforms like linkedin you, you called it authenticity you know quite a humble sort of approach by many i wouldn't say less polished you know because that makes it sound slightly crude but a, like you say a different tone of voice a different language it's more about the person and the, what the person's objectives are what they're trying to achieve barriers to that how somebody's feeling on a given day and I always think, you know, case studies, large and small, are one of the best ways of communicating. Because if you can, res if that resonates with you, then it will resonate with others. And one of the greatest things I always think in, in, in getting a message across is to wrap it up in a story. Uh, and I, I think this is what we're talking about, really. When people are sharing their lives on LinkedIn in a wholly different way, almost seeing the human being behind the business. 
So, you know, there's an accountant that I follow on LinkedIn uh, and I just love what she says because she's built a very successful business over the last two years. But actually, I would say 80 to 90% of her content is all about her and her day, when she's having a bad day, when she's having a good day, how she keeps fit, all this kind of stuff, her thoughts uh, in the darker hours, in the early hours of the morning. And consequently, people have a higher inclination to trust her and consequently she generates more leads for her business and probably uh, converts those leads to sales. So, you know, in sales, building relationships is important as well. And of course, you know, um, when you're bringing members on, uh, I'm guessing that you have to, you know, your focus is about building that relationship with that individual first and foremost. Yeah, absolutely. And and it comes back to that macro to micro approach, doesn't it? The empathy Mm. You know, listening skills. Um, you know, you've got to understand what life is like for the leader of a business, or what it's like for a key decision maker, for you to be able to understand how you might be able to help. Um, you know, the sort of vanilla approach of this is what we do for any organisation um, definitely has a shelf life on it these days, because it actually be it, everything has to be bespoke and tailored. That's you know, that's what technology sort of teaches us that. No, there is no one-size-fits-all, so you have to look at a black-box type arrangement of how you how you support that individual, and that in turn supports the business, helps you know alleviate barriers to growth. So everything has to be um, bespoke. Everything has to be tailored. If we went out there with a really generic offer, um, and I will say, you know, there's more work we've got to do in in, in terms of that space. You know how you you know big data is kind of you know it's that anomalous term that we all understand is you know data is extremely valuable. How you predict your customer behaviour, um, how you identify your new customers, um, but doing it in a, sm- a much smarter way. But you can only do that by actually understanding what the drivers are for the individual, what the drivers are for the business, to be able to then inform your strategies around that from the conversation the reason why you're while you're here is because the conversation that you and i had only the other day um demonstrated to me in a very short space of time i don't know whether my radar is more switched on to those people who have high levels of eq or not uh, but uh, i've had conversations with other people from other chambers of commerce but our conversation was different. It was a very human conversation and it was a very bespoke conversation. And, uh, and, and I genuinely felt that you had empathise and tried to under- understand my business and, and me as an individual. Uh, and consequently, you know, I've joined uh, the Chamber of Commerce uh, for the East Midlands. It was a it was a no brainer decision for me. And that for me is a, is a, a really good, powerful example of how emotional intelligence and the ability to connect with people can really drive your business forward it would be remiss of me if i didn't ask you one final question because you are the person to ask about this we hear an awful lot around this uh, just lately uh, and I, I saw there was a youtube video from the bbc around this very same subject only last night um and it's something that's called that being termed as the great resignation, or I think in America they're using the term the big quit. And I understand that in America there's something like now I might have got the figures wrong, something like four million people a month are leaving their workplaces. 
And this is not just in America, though. This is happening across the world. That since the pandemic, more and more people have voted with their feet when they're not happy with the workplace that they're at now because people have recalibrated their priorities as a result of the pandemic. What has been your experience and what are your thoughts on what is happening with the Great Resignation and what organisations need to do and leaders need to do to ensure that they reduce the stem or the, 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 the turnover that they might be experiencing right now of their talent? Yeah, that's a really good question uh, and quite a few different answers to that. I mean, the first thing is we absolutely have recognised that amongst our members. Um, you know, and that we, we undertake something called a quarterly economic survey. And if you went back and looked at the results of that survey 10 years ago, um, if I was to call the great resignation a skills gap, um, mm-hmm. But you looked at our quarter economic survey today, actually, skills, a paucity of resource, um, whether it's skilled, unskilled, experienced, inexperienced, across that 10 year span, that's, that's what businesses have been telling us for 10 years, that yeah. actually they struggle to get the right resources, uh, whether it's technical, whether it's volume of labour. Um, of course, what the pandemic has done, as you quite rightly have said, as people have recalibrated their values, um, has accelerated or accentuated that challenge. So, you know, if I look at ourselves as a very simple example, at the start of the pandemic, if we placed a, a, a recruitment advert, we might get something in the region of about 80, 80 applications. Today, we're probably only getting about 10. Wow, that's incredible. So it's a real sort of decline in, um, uh, and particularly if I talk to our members, which are recruitment agencies, they would say there's a lot of people in the system, but actually people are not always willing to jump. They'll get all the way through a recruitment process. They might not jump at the very last minute because of the uncertainty. And, you know, I always use a phrase and it's a bit trite, but, you know, for business, um, their currency is confidence. So the more confident the the external environment, the more confident it makes a business, um, and therefore that manifests itself in, you know, confident looking investment plans, which include things like growing the workforce, um, training and developing the the future leaders. And of course, what the pandemic has done because of this paucity of resource, bear in mind pre-pandemic, we would probably have the most prosperous looking economy that we'd had for quite some time. Well, actually, you're now in a position where there are far more roles than there are um, people to fill them. You've got the sort of exit from the European Union, which of course for certain sectors has resulted um, in reduced available resources as people have returned to their home nations or their home countries. Um, So you're almost in a bit of a perfect storm at the moment. You've still got the lingering effects and will have for the next at least a couple of years of the exit of the European Union, what that means for resources. You've got people now who are uh, have, a, have a new view on life, a new view on values. Do they want to work full-time? Could they work part-time? Um, agile working, and you know we've all seen across the pandemic different attitudes to agile working. Um, some organisations saying we're giving up the office completely. I think that's very much in the minority now. Um, and I think people very quickly saw, no, bringing people together in a central place is still important for collaboration. 
Um, but you've also seen some large global businesses say, no, we expect people back in the office five days a week. And my own view would be around that, that um, I'm not sure that's attractive to the talent of the future or the next generation coming into business because their expectations will be agility. Um, their expectations will be different working patterns that suit other aspects of their lives. So you probably have this period of uncertainty will continue around workforce, around availability of resources for, for, for quite some time to come. And, and I guess one of the things, and you've already picked up on it, one of the things I think that we need to look at as organisations is creating the right experience for the people that come into our organisation. Uh, and that can go from anything to do with, uh, you know, the the way in which we work, the agility or the adaptability into the, to, this, to this incredibly VUCA world, this volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world in which we exist, uh, to how we feel in the workplace you know there's a lot of research out there that almost demonstrates that uh, the that, that, that people are uh, coming down in the the whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you know whereas a couple of years ago many of us might have been uh, living in the matrix vision and thinking hey everything's fine in my world and that looking looking at self-actualization uh, many people were dragged right back down to the very basic physiological needs do I feel safe do I feel secure have I got food and water Am I a part of a team? Do I have relationships around me? Uh, and I think, you know, uh, we need to understand and recognize that as leaders. And this is why I believe emotional intelligence is so important in the workplace. Uh, I was hearing from somebody yesterday. Uh, I used to be a police officer, as you know, and I was uh, talking to somebody yesterday. And, and he's involved in recruitment for a police force. And uh, he's saying, uh, uh, he was saying, uh, you know, I'm working right up to Christmas because I'm having a lot of my, our new recruits contacting me uh, because they are thinking about leaving the organisation. And the only reason that they're giving is they don't feel that they are appreciated or valued enough in the organisation. He says, but I've also spoken to recruitment people across other areas of public sector as well. So he says, essentially, we're hemorrhaging new recruits, which seems ridiculous because of the amount of investment that we put into training up new recruits into any organization, but then not to give them the experience that they're looking for, because this is a new phenomenon that we have to get used to. If we're not creating that experience, then we're going to be not only losing people in terms of turnover, but we're actually going to be hemorrhaging money because of the, 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 the investment that we have to put into these individuals in the first place. Yeah, I think that um, that uh, police is a great example, isn't it, with the amount of investment in any single new recruit. You don't want to lose that investment for things that could easily be avoided. Um, I always think, um, and we don't always get it right, um, You know, when you get a, 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 some new talent into the organisation, yeah, the first few days are really important. You've really got to make sure that's a good experience. Um, uh, and like I say, we don't always get it right. You know, occasionally someone will start and it's a case of, yeah, your laptop's not arrived and your mobile phone's not here. And I always think, yeah, I know how that would make me feel if that, yes. you know, if, I, if, if the red carpet wasn't rolled out. And I think that experience that you've talked about within the workplace is really important. But it goes beyond the aesthetics as well. It's not we all want to work in Google-esque offices and we have a bit of hacky sack at lunchtime or table football they're all just things aren't they they're, they're nice to haves and you know people like working in those kind of environments for the most part 
but it actually goes much deeper than that and beyond the materialistic it's very much about culture um everybody feeling like they're part of a team rather than a, a, a an individual within a team within an organization um and you know and, and we do simple things um I, I always think it's a it, it's a ground up approach to things like business planning. You know, I really want to know what everybody thinks. It shouldn't be what I think and then I just push it down a hill. It really should be, you know, because good ideas come from all layers within the organisation. Um, and I think that's a much more modern way, isn't it, of of planning for the future, how you develop your business plans. Um, and and I and I would like to say, I'm sure I'm sure they would. But I think the chamber team feel that it's important that they, that, you know, their voice is heard um, all the way through through a process, um, and that, you know, and there's definitely a richness of ideas there. And but I see that across lots of businesses now. Um, I'm not saying it wasn't there for before, but certainly post pandemic or um, mid pandemic, whichever terminology you wish to use, you can see that that sort of willingness to engage. Because when we, you know, if I interview anybody for a role in the chamber, no one really asks about money. They ask about values. They ask about your journey to net zero. Um, you know, how you're supporting the communities in which you operate. These are very important things um, to, to recruits um, and talent of all ages. And, and of course, money is important because it's how you pay the mortgage and how you put the food on the table every week. But it's not the most important thing anymore. Um, it's definitely about values. It's about culture. And because it is a, a, an employee's marketplace currently, um, it's about choice. I mean, so much in value in what you've said. I mean, I want to pick up on business planning. Uh, it was always a firm uh, principle of mine that business planning should always be ground up. The strategic priorities are set by the, the executive of the organisation. The business planning, however, is about the rest of the organisation say, OK, we understand what the priorities are, but this is how we're going to play our part in achieving those priorities. Uh, and that is all about, you know, putting the man on the moon kind of concept that we've, you know, the, the analogy that we very often hear. Um, uh, and you're absolutely right. This, this issue about experience in the workplace, I think, is a new phenomenon. Uh, for organizations and for the business community. It is something that we as leaders need to step up to now. It's a whole new generation of employees that are coming on board. And if we don't give them the experience that they want and deserve, then we are going to be losing talent and we will be hemorrhaging staff, money, um, uh, great people, uh, and, and fundamentally, it's going to affect our performance and bottom line. It's as simple as that. Scott, I could ask you a thousand and one questions. I know we're going to, I think I might have to invite you back and we might have to have a themed uh, conversation around this subject. Uh, but we're over our time. I want to say thank you so much. Thanks very much for joining us today. And uh, I wish you well. Thank you, Cole. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.